Amen. Psalm 87, starting at verse 1, and actually, as I've said so many times before, really the title, because the title is part of the inspired word of God. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah. We've been seeing a series of psalms from Korah. If you recall, Korah's, the tribe of Korah, were the, or the clan, I guess I should say, of Korah, were the gatekeepers. It says, a song. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. Once again, Selah, that's a musical uh, interlude for the purpose of interpretation of what has just been said. Verse 4, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born here. And Zion, and of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there, Selah. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, all of my springs are in you. Now we're told just kind of to lay a foundation in the book of Revelation. It speaks in chapter 21 of a new Jerusalem. And when we're spoken of what is being spoken of in Psalms is Jerusalem and God's hand upon Jerusalem. And there's a short to it, a short of the prophecy. There's also a current, what is happening at that time or what's even happening in our day. But there's a future as well. And we see the future of Jerusalem in chapter 21. It says, now I saw, verse 1, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So completely gone. We saw that in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 2. Then I, John, the apostle John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so the idea here is, is that, when God established the tabernacle, now the tabernacle was the portable dwelling place of the Lord as Israel was wandering through the wilderness and for a period of time as they entered into the promised land. Eventually it would become the temple that we know is in Jerusalem. Now God gave specific instruction to Moses and how this was to be laid out, both tabernacle and temple. And what it was to do was to mimic how heaven is laid out. And again, the idea is, is that this is the dwelling place of God. Well, when the heavens and the earth and the sea are all destroyed and there's a new heaven and a new earth, that dwelling place of God will be in the midst of mankind. All of the temple, tabernacle, and the wandering through the wilderness and God dwelling with his people was all pointing towards that future event. Now, we looked at God's mercy last week in chapter 86 in a personal way, but now we're going to look at God's mercy in a corporate way and really for all of humanity. And here the psalmist is focusing upon Jerusalem. So again, if Korah is truly the gatekeeper, if he's truly the usher in the house of God, he, he's seeing that, wow, this is truly a place of prayer for all the nations because we've got many nations that are mentioned there, both Jews and Gentiles. God's house was to be a house of prayer for all of the nations. God is not a respecter of men, of mankind. And so as Korah is examining these things, in the midst of it, he sees the beauty of Jerusalem, but he also sees how God's mercy has been upon Jerusalem and the great work that God does in the midst of his people, once again, both Jew and Gentile. And so 
we're looking at Jerusalem here and the prominence as, that it has, looking at revolution, uh, revolution, revelation and the prominence that it's going to have in the future, but the prominence that it has today. I mean, there's no city in this world that is mentioned in world events to the degree that Jerusalem is. In Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. And so God's design and desires are for this, this city that God has set there. <clears throat> Now, if you study the Bible, obviously you become familiar to a degree with Jerusalem, so that will play into what I'm about to say. But when you go to Israel, the first place that we go to is the Sea of Galilee, which is up north. So that would be, for instance, in the area of San Francisco. And then you come down after three days of touring the various sites up there, you come down on the east side of the nation and you kind of skirt the uh, Jordan River. And when you get down to parallel with Jerusalem, the Jordan River, then you head inland and you come to Jerusalem and you're going through the mountains and then all of a sudden you pop out and there's the city and there's the Temple Mount. It's a very emotional time. They play it up and again, it's emotional because we understand Jerusalem and Jerusalem's place in God's heart, but still there's just something so special about that. The psalmist realizes it and Ezekiel realized it as well, that God had set it there for his reasons and for his purposes and it's as if Jerusalem is the center of the Middle East and a lot of the things that go on in the Middle East it's in the midst of Beirut and Damascus and Baghdad Alexandria uh, Cairo and Mecca and all of these areas all of these cities and a lot of the cities that well would sure like to have Jerusalem back or at least to have the Jews expelled from it Jerusalem, you would look at Jerusalem, and even when you're there, apart from the knowledge of the significant, uh, significance of it, what's the big deal? What, what really is the, the big deal? There, there's no rivers flowing through it. It's not really any, any kind of a trade route today. It, it's not a seaport. The roads, there's no real major roads. I mean, they have freeways that go to it and through it and whatnot. But again, there's just no real significance to it. But just as truly as God has said his mercy and his presence there, the devil has tried to claim it for itself as well. And we even see that today as we were able to go. Well, when you go to the Wailing Wall, the Wailing Wall is the area of the foundation of the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is the place where the temple was built upon. And so this Wailing Wall is just one of the walls of the foundation of it. You even go on a tour that's a little bit underground and you can see the foundations of those walls and how big they are. There's one rock there that is about the size of these chairs uh, width and, and length and, and probably about 10 to 12 feet in height. Just, and, and it's just carved into the bedrock, and it's just an amazing thing that these people have done. But again, that's all that is left is the foundation of that great temple. But on top of it, we were able to go on top the last time we were there, and there's the Dome of the Rock. There's this mosque of, of Islam that is up there. And so there's a spiritual battle in, in Jerusalem because of the great prophecies that we see. And again, how God has set his affection upon it. It is the center of conflict in that area. The Bible tells us of nine times and history tells us of 34 times that Jerusalem has been besieged. 
but it still stands today. In the midst of Israel, under the control of the Jews for the most part, is this city of peace. This city of peace, which so much conflict has been fought over it, but nonetheless, it is set and it is kept by the hand of God. In Matthew chapter 10, Verses 16 through 18. Now this is the Lord speaking of his apostles, but he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Well, God has set his mercy upon Jerusalem, and God has kept Jerusalem throughout all of the ages because... Again, this is the place where God has future plans for, and we've seen the past glory of God as it was set in its place. It was Solomon who built the most grand and glorious temple. There was actually three of them. The most grand and glorious temple that has ever been built. And as Solomon built it, he dedicated it to the Lord, and the Lord gave his seal of approval, if you will, when his glory filled that temple. And so here in the midst of the raging nations, the psalmist looks forward to the day that all nations will be received as citizens of Zion. And you'll see this. Somebody even asked me in one of the devotions that I posted, what is Zion? And you've probably heard that term a lot, Zion or Zionist. Well, Zion, a lot of times in the scriptures, is the poetic name for God's rule over God's people in Jerusalem. Mount Zion is the hill. It's the name of the hill on which the temple and the greater part of the city of Jerusalem stand. There's valleys that are all around it, and if you ever have an opportunity to to go there, your attention is taken by the city. But if you take time to look, you'll see these valleys that are around it and you'll realize that there is this hill and on top of it well there was the city of David where David's palace was built but then above that would be the mount of um, the temple mount in the area where the temple was well that it's the city of Jerusalem but that mountain if you will hill that's Mount Zion and so because of the existence of the Temple Mount, Zion is symbolic with the dwelling place of God. Now, as I said, there is a short, a current, and a long meaning to the prophetic psalm here. And we'll look at it from the context of our day. The short, well, we see in Isaiah 56, verses 7 through 8, "...even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offering and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar." For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. And he's speaking of others than just the Jews. The long... Revelation 21, verses 23 through 24. The city have no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. 
So speaking of that dwelling place of God that will be in that new heaven and that new earth. But as far as current today, we can draw parallels of that for the church because again, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. And if you look at the church collectively, we see that God dwells amongst his people in the body of Christ. So we should be able to look at parallels to the things that were spoken of in uh, uh, chapters such as chapter 87 and understand some concepts that God would have for the church today. And so this time, instead of a continuation of the previous psalm, Psalm 87 seems to expand on a point that was raised in Psalm 86. If you look at verse 9, Psalm 86, verse 9, All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, for the rising of the sun, for from the rising of the sun, even till it's going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great amongst the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Well, we see how this was reduced during the time of the Lord's coming, and what I mean by that, that which was to be a place to come and to meet with God for all the nations, the Jews kind of took possession of it. As a matter of fact, they looked down their noses at the Gentiles and considered them to be very unclean. You can even see that in denominations today. We had a member of our church who went to visit another church. It wasn't a Calvary chapel, but what it was wasn't really so much important. It was a church of what we would recognize as a Christian church. And he went in there and he partake of the service and all. And when he went to, well, they had communion that day, he wanted to partake of communion and they wouldn't let him partake of communion. Why wouldn't they let him partake of communion? Because he wasn't a member. Well, it's not about being a member of the church. It's about being a member of the body of Christ. And again, that's the same thing that the Jews did. They, they took possession, if you will, of the temple, and they looked down their noses at the Gentiles and considered them to be a people very unclean. Well, the, the, the harshest words that the Lord had when he was here were for the Pharisees, those who thought that they were righteous within themselves. And again, that's a picture of the Jews and how they, they thwarted what God desired to do. Jesus, Jesus even said, because of your traditions, you have rendered the word of God of no effect. We'll be looking at this psalm tonight in four stanzas. First is verses one through two, Rock of Ages. We just sang this song. Verse three, Glorious Things. Verses 4 through 6, Gentiles and Jews together. And then verse 7, the fount of every blessing. So first, verses 1 and 2, the rock of ages. His foundation is the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. Kind of went into verse 3 there, but nonetheless. Now, you remember that one day, 9-1-1-2001, when the World Trade Center came down. I remember looking at it after the, the, both the towers had come down and all of the rubble, and it just seemed so surreal. That which was there, the skyline, well, it just had been changed. It had been altered forever. There was months of hauling off the rubble and picking up the debris and cleaning up the mess and all of these things that were going on. And so finally they were done, but when they were finished, what was left? Well, the building 
it was gone, but the foundation remained. The foundation remained, because the foundation remained, there was a memorial that was built, and with that foundation, there was the remembrance of that building. And again, we can go to Jerusalem and the temple, which makes Jerusalem so special. Again, the dwelling place of God. The building is gone, but the foundation, it remains. The foundation is still there. See, a good foundation is immovable, and how much more so when it is set by God. Going back to that tour, you go to the Wailing Wall, and you know it's the place where people stick prayer requests into the cracks of the rocks and all of that. And you just see the permanence of that. Again, you go on that tour that parallels the Wailing Wall underground and see the foundations that are there, and you just see the permanence of all of that structure. And then we have the knowledge that we have and we see that this is a place that is going to stand for all the existence of mankind and earth and even into the future. And it's just an amazing thing. But bringing this into the church, we're told the Apostle Paul used the illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 11, there's no other foundation that man can lay other than that which has been laid the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we just sang the song of that sure foundation, that rock on which we stand. We stand upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, study the Bible, and we see the reality of it. But really, when we go through hardship, when we go through trials and tribulations, it's then that we for sure see the reality of it. Matter of fact, it's that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes from belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the hope that I was able to give both this, or this afternoon and yesterday at the funeral that we did. There was mourning, there was crying, because God has created us to do that, and that's a necessary thing. But there is also a confidence in Jesus Christ. There's a confidence in the Lord that the unbeliever at the point of death just does not have. And the thing about it is, it's sure and it's steadfast. It's there and there's a permanence to it. And how does that filter into our lives? Well, just as I see the hope that people have of their mother, who we have a body, the the casket was in here, we have this body, but it's just that, it's just a body, or as Paul points out, it's just a tent that has been worn out ready to be discarded, but the Spirit is in the presence of God. And and, and the great hope that we all have, just as she was there, so will we be one day. It's that hope that is sure and steadfast. Regardless of what happens in this life, regardless of the trials and, and tribulations that I go through, God has given me, He has given us all something of permanence. And it's that which caused this great hope and and, an example of faith to well up of those who have gone before us. God met Abraham, and he told Abraham to go into the promised land. And Abraham pretty much left everything behind, and he followed through. Took a little bit of a, 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 a detour, but nonetheless, he ended up where he needed to end up. But Abraham wasn't so much looking for that promised land He was looking for that which was even beyond the promised land. Now we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 9 through 10, by faith he, Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. See, he knew that wasn't his home. We know this isn't our home. We're we're sojourners here. We're we're visitors here. We're, we're, We're just staying for a period of time. 
We see the, the things that are going on in the po political arena. We see the wars that are, I mean, just, just in the past day, war started again in Turkey and, you know, against the Kurds in, in, in the area of Syria and whatnot. And we see these things, and, and you just look at it, and you just think, what a mess. Well, it, it's not our house. We're, we're, we're just here temporarily. This is not our permanent dwelling place. So again, back to Abraham in Hebrews, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so again, he's still waiting for that. It's going to be that time when there's that new heaven and there's that new earth. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's in the present with the Lord because he lived a life of faith in God based upon what God had given him. And it's the same thing that we all do. We're soldiers here, but we live a life in faith in God. And so we, we have the wars that are breaking out, the political upheavals and whatever it's going to be this coming week. But our faith and our focus needs to be on the goodness of the Lord. God who loves me and gave his life for me. And I understand what we're told in, in, in even Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's given us a spirit. What does it say in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14? He's given us that, the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. He has sealed his promise. And he wants you to know the reality of these things so that you can have a confidence as you go through the difficulties of life. As Job said, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Just that natural phenomenon and the surety of that. Every time you light a fire and sparks, they fly upward because heat rises. Well, just as sure as that, man is born to trouble. And because of that, Christ came and he has set us free. And so those who walked by faith did not set their affections on earthly Jerusalem, but understood the foundation of something much greater that was laid there. Now, I'm not speaking of a physical foundation at this time. I'm speaking of a spiritual foundation. As God planted Jerusalem, it was the foundation of something that is going to be so much greater. Even our church can be a great church, but our affections, affections aren't on the building, Perfection isn't even really on the church. It's on something much greater, which God has set before us. The congregation here on earth is going to be nothing compared to what we experience in heaven. And again, just, just, just look at these things that John got this picture in Revelation. It's not going to be on the screen, but in Revelation chapter 5. The Apostle John got this picture of the church in heaven. Now, if you look at Revelation chapter 4, especially at the beginning, you get a picture of the rapture of the church. And never again is the church seen here on earth, but we do get a little bit of a picture of the church in heaven. So just bear with me as I read chapter 5. John says, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. It's believed that this is the title deed to the earth. Then I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So his problem here is there's nobody here who is worthy to take possession of the earth. And so it's at that moment, and this is the only place that we see tears in heaven, it's at that moment that there seems to be a hopelessness. Verse 5, but 
But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. We know that he prevailed upon the cross. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sit out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, this is pictures of the church and those who have gone before us, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Now remember, when you sing a new song, it doesn't, that's not just to sing a different song. It's not that the church is to sing a new song, so the worship team better get right, you know, busy writing new songs or getting new songs. It's not about that at all. Sing a new song is a fresh, it could be the same song, but a fresh awareness of the grace of God. Now think of John and, and, and think of the elder, the church that is there. Uh, who, who's worthy to, to take the scroll? And really what that speaks of is the helplessness of mankind. And even throughout all the ages, there's nobody worthy except for one. And it's at that point of helplessness that John recognizes, the church recognizes, recognizes the goodness, the grace, and the mercy, and the love of God. And there's this fresh awareness of it that is just so encompassing and so that they're singing a new song. You sing a new song, the scriptures, there's a new song sang when you come to the fresh awareness of the grace of God. Because I can speak of the grace of God and you've heard me say the grace of God. We've read the grace of God, heard about the grace of God. And again, we can come routine in our Christian lives. And what I mean by that is we can take it for granted. But now, bam, every once in a while, you get that fresh awareness, and isn't he just so good? And just speaking or singing praises to him. Well, this is this heavenly choir that's coming to this realization. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. The idea is it's innumerable. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, or so be it. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And so because of the knowledge of the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God comes this new song, this fresh awareness of God's grace that is expressed outwardly and is expressed loudly. And so here we have faith, being able to trust in God for today. So we worship him. We have hope, being able to trust in God for our future, and so we worship him. In heaven, we will be able to do these things by sight and through revelation. But as far today, we worship the Lord in spirit. We worship the Lord because we have faith and through the hope that we have. Secondly, is in verse 3, back in chapter 87 of Psalms, are glorious things. Verse 3, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. 
This is not the praise of Zion, Jerusalem, the church, or heaven, but the work that God has done in all. Because without God, all of these places, that mountain, that city, the church, heaven, there's just nothing to it unless God is there, unless God inhabits it. Hebrews 1.10, And you, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. We so easily praise people for what they do. We're in football season. Well, we're not baseball season as well we're not really praising the Dodgers right now uh, as they were eliminated but there's going to be the World Series and there's going to be a champion and they're going to have the parade and they're going to be throwing the ticker tape and all of that stuff's going to happen we're going to praise them I say we as a society are going to praise them for their accomplishment the Academy Awards when do they come like February or something like that we're going to be praising those people and accomplishments and all of these things but what about God who's done exceedingly abundantly above all that we have asked or think. God who is truly worthy of our praise. God who cares for us, who has watched over us and keeps us and given his word and his spirit as a guarantee and to realize the great work that he has done in me that has changed and altered my life for all of eternity. God is perfect. His works are perfect. They are sure and they are everlasting. I had somebody who was talking to me, that was my mother actually, um, about, it wasn't global warming. I don't think global warming is so much the issue anymore. It's climate change or whatever. And I was just thinking, not one thing's going to happen apart from the will of God. Nobody's going to get to heaven and God says, man, you messed everything up when you destroyed the earth. We're nothing. This is that which God has created and we can't change it. We can't alter it. God's got purpose and plan that will be changed by nobody, by nobody's hand. And so Jerusalem, Jerusalem is there. And the reason that it has been maintained is because God has planted it there for his reasons and purposes. The church, the reason the church is here and the reason the church will be maintained is because God has planted his church. This is Jesus's church. It's no man's, definitely no pastor's. It's no man's. This is an agency of God. Jesus spoke of his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Jerusalem of the Old Testament was so glorious. The church even so much more glorious. But when the Lord reveals himself and he comes back and we are in his presence, we have no clue even the beginning of that glory that we will all experience. And then thirdly, we see verses 4 through 6, Gentiles and Jews together. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. And of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there, Selah. Jews and Gentiles will be joined together and they're acknowledging and worshiping God as brothers and sisters together. Now, the psalmist mentions here five representation, uh, representing nations. Five is the number of grace. And again, this is built upon the grace of God. Rahab, now this is going to be of the mindset and the context of the day of the writing of the psalm, but we can see this worldwide today. But Rahab would be speaking of Egypt to the south, Babylon, a nation to the east, Philistia, a nation to the west, Tyre, a nation to the north, and Cush, or Ethiopia, a distant nation. The idea, Israel and all of the nations. 
As far as today in the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. Now, this is in the sight of God, but we are all one in Christ. Nobody has an advantage over any other, anybody else in the sight of God. Nobody is loved to a greater degree in the sight of God. All of God's children, God loves us all. Israel confused these things, but through Jesus Christ, these things are set straight. So, how can we possibly have unity? It's what the world is searching for today. It's what the world is working for today. They're trying to legislate even unity, but they just can't make it happen. Every time they try to get close, it slips through their finger. Even racial unity. Man continues to build himself up based upon the color of his skin or puts somebody else down because of it. But the church is an accumulation of all peoples because all peoples are creation of God. And we got such a great picture of that even at the beginning of the church age when the Holy Spirit came upon the church for that great work of ministry. In Acts chapter 2, Actually, I'll start reading at verse 5. It says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans from the north of Israel? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. A proselyte would be a Gentile who has converted to Judaism. And so what we have here is a people from all areas. It goes on to say, let me finish it out, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And so the idea is God is bringing people from all over the known world, at least in that area at that time. And we see the unity of the Lord that we're only able to maintain we're only able to have and maintain through the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, the church is filled with people from Mexico. In our church, we've, we've got people from Nigeria. We've got people from the other ends of the world. Lakana, you're from Cambodia. I mean, God has gathered people together, even just at Calvary Chapel, Ontario. And we see how multifaceted it is. And there's strength in that. There's strength in that, but there's also the knowledge in that, that truly God's commission is worldwide because God desires that all would come to a saving knowledge of him. If we're just all white faces or black faces or brown faces or whatever, then we've kind of pulled within ourselves and we've kind of fostered our own little club here. And that's not what God's desire is. Again, the world the world's trying to foster heaven here on earth, but they can't do it because they keep splitting off according to racial divides and whatnot, or social or economic or whatever it may be. But as far as the body of Christ, we are to all be one. Psalmist, the psalmist understands that God, God has a desire for all people and all people are welcome into the temple. All people are welcome in to the body of Christ because all people will be welcomed into heaven. Fourthly, verse 7, the fount of every blessing. 
both the singers and the players on instruments say, all of my springs, all of my founts are in you. In Psalm 46, verse 4, it says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. All of our blessings, well, all we are or hope to be is in the Lord Jesus Christ. All we have or hope to have, all we obtain or hope to obtain is according to the will of God. The will of God as it flows from the throne of God. And that's a picture that we have in Revelation 22 verse 1 and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb that spring that flows from the throne of God is the purity of God's word that gives life to all who come and partake of it and verse 7 again both the singers and the players on instruments say so there's this time of worship and what's their worship focused upon all of my springs are in you. The word of God is to spring forth from us. And that should cause us to sing a new song, to have a fresh awareness of the grace of God, the grace of God that uses all of us because there's not a one of us who are here today who are worthy to be used by the Lord. But God, because he is gracious and because he has plans and desires for those who are unsaved, he has made the determination to use us. Oh, that we would be the poster children for grace. Our testimonies speak of our imperfections, but God's testimony in us and through us speak of the glory and the power of God to work in and through his church to continue to change this world, to continue to achieve God's will. Korah, I would imagine Korah was looking at these things and seeing the many nations that were come. The, the, the Gentile nations were severely limited during that time, but nonetheless, seeing these nations coming together and just, just understanding the vastness of the love that God had for all of humanity. And the beauty of it is, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's been confirmed that we're part of that. God has set his affections upon us through the salvation that we have obtained. Father, I just pray that we would have that same heart that Korah had, just to see you worship because of the purity of your word of God as it flows out, flows out then from the temple, but flows out today from the church. And as it goes out, Lord, others are able to partake of it and to come in, and your church grows, and, and Lord, your love swells. And so, Father, we just thank you that you have given us this night, that you have given us this time together. And I just pray, Father, that our fellowship would be great. I just pray, Father, that you would bless us for gathering together here tonight. Lord, I, I do lift up seriously the tamales that have been brought in and just our time of fellowship. We thank you for the food that you give us and all of your provision. Father, may we be people that would forever recognize the source of all good things. And I pray as we do that we would enjoy them and rejoice in who you are. Lord, I lift up this last song and just pray that you would bless us. Pray, Father, give us a heart just to sing it out, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand for